So so the talk that we would like to offer tonight, uh, talk and discussion is about the uh, sukha and dukkha of relationship. And most people, anybody not know the word dukkha? Anybody not? Dukkha means suffering. It's generally translated as suffering, disease, uh, uncomfortableness, disorientation, stress, but suffering is, is the, the basic word. And how many people, anybody uh, not know what sukha means? Yeah, sukha is less wild, wild, widely publicized in Buddhism. <laughs> dukkha is more highly publicized. <laughs> but they're, 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 um, they're part of a weave of reality that there's sukha, that there's suffering, there's difficulty, dis-ease. And then there's sukha, which is there's goodness, there's blessings, there's beauty, there's joy, there's happiness. And they're both part of the dharma. It's not one or the other. It's both of them. And so when the board asked us to talk about relationship, we said, sure, we're happy to talk about um, relationship. Um, and partly what, and I'm going to start, and Pam's going to join in, and then we'll see where we go from, from there. But, um, when we were teaching many years ago now, probably about 12 years ago or something, in Colorado, we got asked to teach um, um, a, a weekend retreat, you know, a little bit workshoppy kind of retreat, but it was about uh, self and not self. And we're, so we were teaching, you know, what good dharma, deep dharma about self and, and, and also the absence of self. And we taught for the whole weekend, probably Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And at the end, there were a lot of questions. And all the questions were about our relationship. <laughs> people didn't care about self and not self. They were like, well, how is it for you? You're both teachers and practitioners, and how is it for you to be in relationship? And what's that like? And there's a lot of what's called a projection about how great our relationship was. It's sometimes called transference, right? You get people's idealization gets transferred on you. And of course, we told them, oh yeah, our relationship is perfect and we never have any problems. <laughs> no, that's not what we said. What I said, because I remember looking at Pam and thinking about it and I said, and I knew Pam would be comfortable, at least I thought she would be comfortable uh, with this. I said, I said, well, relationship is really easy as long as you know relationship is dukkha. Right? And so that caught everybody's attention. You know, and I said, that's not all it is. It's not just dukkha. But once you see it's dukkha, then you can relax and you can have a really good time in relationship. <laughs> Meaning, it's not just all good, it's everything. And I think she'll agree with me about this, that it's, you know, it's everything. Sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's not so I, great. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so, it's really, and one of the things that makes it so um, uh, 
good to be in relationship where you know it's dukkha, is you don't have to be perfect, or you don't have to just do it right, because you can't do it right, because it's not just one human being, it's two human beings. And if you've ever been in any kind of relationship with other human beings, they don't do what you want them to do. <laughs> and even when they think they're doing what you want them to do, they're not doing it. And so, you know, in, in our common language, you know, shit happens, you know, and it's, and it's not a bad thing. And we've been in relationship a long time. We always forget how long, 28 years, something like that. Yeah. And, and, um, and we keep learning how to do it. It's not a done deal. We didn't learn 20 years ago, and now we've just, you know, ridden, you know, the downhill. It's, you know, it's like this. You know, it's up and down. And sometimes we're good, and sometimes we're not good. And sometimes one of us is good, and sometimes one of us is not, uh, is not good. And, and, it, and, it, and we both um, know each other well enough so we're relaxed when we see the other one playing either the good or the not good role. Because it's just part of the deal. And um, so people often ask us also about relationship. So I'm going to say a few things, and then, of course, you can chime in at any time um, about how we got together. And I, this is actually true. And we don't talk about it publicly so much, but we had a big menage a trois at the beginning of our relationship, right? So we don't publicize that too much. But, but it was fun, and it, and it continues to be fun. Meaning the menage a trois is we were both in love with the Dharma. And it's true. But but it's really true. It's part of when we fell in love, that's part of what happened. It wasn't just, oh, I fell in love with her and she fell in love with me. We were both falling in love with the Dharma and then we fell in love the three of us together. And so that, that was quite a blessing and beautiful and she was, um, Pam was a Zen student living in Tassajara, which is a Zen monastery. And I've been a Vipassana student, and I've been asked to be in teacher training. And that's how, and I was down at, uh, um, in Tassajara uh, visiting in the, during the summer and practicing, but you know, having some fun. And you know, she was cute, and I was interested. <laughs> and so, we uh, we started flirting, and uh, <laughs> it's like monastic flirting. Yeah, <laughs> she says I wasn't monastic. So was, I was much more direct about that. Um, <laughs> Actually, the uh, we we there's something happening between us, and. Um, I think we both could feel it, but it was a little bit, um, it's a little loud. Um, it was a little bit not the right context, right? And so, at least for me, there was a, 
this is happening, this isn't really happening. And then one afternoon, we were sitting at the poolside, and that's too low now. And um, which one is here? First one, yeah. Got it. We were sitting at the poolside, and uh, Eugene's daughter, who was about ten at the time, eight. eight okay, I always get that wrong. About eight, eight years old at the time was um, at the shallow end of the pool and we were sitting on two chaise lounges and she w started making a lot of noise. She was saying, Dad, Dad, look at me. Come look at me, come play with, what are you talking to her for? <laughs> she said, stop talking to her and come, come get in the pool and play with me. And I remember, because we, we were having this sort of intense conversation, and all of a sudden, like, we both realized, oh, there's there's something happening here. <laughs> we, we didn't know it, but she knew it. <laughs> so um, I'll say a little more about oh, a few more things, just about relationship, our relationship, and really what. I hope we're emphasizing here is relationship is practice. Because like everything, it's practice. And it's something we keep learning how to practice better or more or more fully and keep discovering ourselves in practice. And even and one of the ways that I saw this was about um, so we we got together, you know, uh, not a, did that something change with the sound? Yes. It's died. It's died? There okay, there it is. That's good. Thank you, Patrick. It's tweaking. Um, so what happened was um, we, we got together and we got involved and she came out of the monastery, which her family was really happy about. <laughs> and uh, and uh, was living in San. We were living together in San Francisco, and then, and and she wanted to get married. And I was like, I don't want to get married. I've been married. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and she was like, No, I want to get married. Like, no way. I'm not. I've done that. And Close. this. Pardon? Twice. Yeah, twice. And so, um, oh yeah, that's a good Maybe idea. This. That, yeah. that helps to turn this on. There you go. Um, Thank you. No, that's good. Yeah. Um, and so we did a little therapy around it because she wasn't happy that I was saying no. And it was very interesting to do therapy because the therapy was helpful. And I often um, encourage people, if you're in a couple, do some couples therapy. It's very helpful because most of us don't know actually how to be in relationship. And uh, most people, you know, are, whatever your parents did or wherever you came from, whatever they did, you know, I'm sure they did the best they could, but we're all still learning how to really relate in a very intimate way and be ourselves at the same time. And, um, and it's an ongoing practice. So we went to therapy and it was great. And so what I, meaning what was great was I saw, oh, I was, 
identified with someone who'd been married before, and I wasn't letting go of that identity that had been through two marriages and divorced, and I didn't want it, and I was, I was um, attached to that identity. And it's a negative identity, but we often get attached to negative identities, right? We think that's who I am. And at some point I realized, oh, this has nothing to do with the past. Whatever happened in my past, married, divorced, who cares? Right now I'm with this woman. It was like, oh my God, she's great. And so I was like, you know, I changed. Remember that? Okay. <laughs> and, 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 you know, basically I said, well, you married me, right? And, and then we agreed to get married. And <laughs> you know, there are some little sidelights. <laughs> but also, one of the things that happened then, that continues to happen, even though we've been together, really, if it was, if we've been together since I was eight, so it's 29 years we've been together. Uh, what I see is, what I saw then, when I realized, oh, this, whatever the past was, that's the past, it's actually not here in the moment except in my mind, right? What I realized was, I actually don't know her. I don't know who she is. And that's a really great thing in relationship that continues. So now we've been together 29 years, you know, and I still don't know her. And that's a good thing. And it doesn't mean I don't know her at all. I know her, I know Pam, and I know her things, and I know her likes and dislikes, and difficulties and joys, and happiness and beauty, and you know. And I also don't know her. And that is a great way to be in relationship. Instead of putting my knowing onto Pam, I get to keep seeing, oh, who is this person? And, and of course, it's nice when it works both ways, right? <laughs> when she doesn't. I totally know him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true what you say. Yeah. No, it's really true. And we and so here, one thing I thought we would say about this, which I don't know if I mentioned, part of the thing is every few years we've done some therapy. And you know, it's like nothing's ever been horrible, but or some things have been difficult once in a while, but nothing horrible. And and uh, and actually, to be honest, we didn't like most of the therapists. We actually, we liked the therapists, but we always wished they were a little more sophisticated or something or something. But it still, it was good enough just to be there in the room and being real together with somebody helping navigate the realness. And then recently, we've been going to therapy again, which we haven't done for years. And it's been great. And we've got a good therapist, so if you need one, I'll <laughs> recommend you. But really, she's very mature, and it's, been, and it's wild to watch how we can keep waking up together mm. in relationship, in therapy. Really, because and in here I'm going to say, where we are, we're fine. Okay. Um, uh, one of the things we keep seeing is because we've known each other for so long, 
is that sometimes we forget that we don't know each other. And also, we, um, we can have patterned responses. Mm -hmm. And when we unplug from the pattern, from the habit, from the attachment to how we've been, then it gets very vulnerable. And that is a really great part of relationship, is being vulnerable. And it's part of the difficulty of being in relationship, or actually being in the Dharma in general. If you actually do Dharma practice seriously, you will experience vulnerability, because we're not who we think we are. And discovering who we actually are can be a very vulnerable thing. And vulnerable can be uh, difficult, but it can also be quite beautiful, like there's a realness or an aliveness. Or a, the word that I like these days that I use with vulnerability, there's a transparency. Like, oh, who's here is really here. It's not just an idea or a facade or a personality structure but there's something real here and that's totally transparent in both ways. And when that happens, we're happy even though sometimes it's not comfortable. In our recent, recent therapy, we had one of these very vulnerable moments, I did. And as I sat there in my vulnerability, quaking a bit, um, not exactly sure how it happened, but at some point I said to Eugene, and I just want to say out loud that I feel I feel so tender now that if you basically so much as blink wrong, that if you uh, aren't really present with me and here, uh, and if you hurt me in any way from this place, I'll kill you. <laughs> and it was true and it wasn't that I was going to kill him but that was the intensity of self sort of mother bear protection of me to myself from that vulnerable space and it's part of the ability to recognize those conditioned patterns that Eugene was talking about and to go oh that's just who I think Eugene is, or that's just my ancient twisted karma, and realize I don't have to do that. It opens the door for this kind of vulnerability in which it's very tender and transparent, as Eugene was saying, but that's where intimacy comes. That's where real connection comes. So it's both beautiful, but not always so easy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you want to continue a little about intimacy? Because I have it down there also. <laughs> or, or I could. Go ahead. So uh, we were talking, because the subtitle was about the intimacy of relationship. The Dharma as intimacy. The Dharma as, the Dharma it said as intimacy, it should have said the dharma of intimacy. Not the dharma as intimacy, the dharma of intimacy. Because intimacy is woven into Buddhist teachings. And it's a really beautiful part of it. 
And so we have a quote that I've said here many times, and I know Pam has used, that uh, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. This is from Dogen, it's said Master Dogen. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. To forget to let go of the self is to become intimate with all things. And that's what Pam is pointing at right now in that vulnerability. To let go of the self, the usual structured, rigid, you know, patterned sense of self and see what's here as you start becoming intimate with all things, with reality, with this moment, which is totally alive and magical and wild in my language. And so you can start to have that kind of intimacy with one another and, and it's not easy. It's not, we're not used to being that open with one another. We used to be, yeah, we're not used to being that open, that kind of what we're calling vulnerability. And often pe people are often a little bit when they first fall in love. We're very open, we're very intimate. We even call it that, right? We become, quote, intimate with someone, right? It's because we let down our guard, we let down our structure, we, we open ourselves to the other person and you know whoever it might be and it's very intimate and one of the uh, one of the edges of practice in relationship is to stay intimate with one another so I just want to say I guess I've been all day kind of musing on this quote from Donan and I think I've mean, been working with this, this phrasing, this quote, these ideas for 30 years of being a Dogen Zenji was the founder of Soto Zen, founder of the Zen tradition that I have practiced in. And I realized that when you have a quote that is as good as this one, um, it changes over time, your understanding of it. And I heard it a little bit differently in my own sort of mind and heart today which is that for all this time I've always emphasized the self and not self, right? So to study the Buddha way is to study the self. And we talk about selfing um, as, as being a central part of our practice, like learning how to do what we were just talking about, which is to catch on to our habits, right? and our karmic condition. And as we study selfing, we forget the self. We become released of those kind of crusty old habits. And that is a kind of intimacy. But we don't really talk about the intimacy part. And I think it's critical because Somehow, I feel like the way that Buddhism has been translated here in this culture and time and place, it, it has this dimension of being this kind of solo, <coughs> inward activity because there's so much emphasis on meditation. And that's true, and it's good, and it's a huge corrective for you know, the rest of the wildly 
outward, <coughs> speedy world that we live in. But I think, and I know this in part from the years of living in a monastery, which is a, it's a communal setup. You are living and sitting and eating and working sh literally shoulder to shoulder with other people in a very intimate way. Um, and that, that piece of relationship is absolutely part and parcel of the fabric of the Dharma. And we have uh, kind of, it's a, the way that we've inherited it feels a little tilted to me. Like we've become much more interested in this quiet, solo, inward piece, which again is important. But this intimacy and relationship, that's the whole point. And actually the teaching itself, what Eugene was saying of the aliveness, is is a way of describing this fundamental teaching of Patika Samuppada, which was really the breakthrough teaching that the Buddha offered, which is that what's here, any moment is alive. It, it's not a separate, solid thing that happens and we put a label on it and now we've got it and we can box it up. Actually, our life itself is unfolding moment to moment as a relationship. That, that's the aliveness that's here. And so to be able to practice that <laughs> kind of aliveness, to feel the fear of letting go of our preset ideas and opinions and beliefs, and to open oneself to being not so sure you know who the other person is, or that you know who you are, or that you know what's true or what's right or what we should be doing right now, right? It's like, you know, it's like being stripped of something that maybe we really secretly all want to be stripped of, but we often don't like it. <coughs> but that, what comes is this aliveness, this dynamism that I think we are all really, really hungry for. And I, I have this feeling, if I look at my own experience, of part of the reason that we have a world in which we are so, we are over-consumers is because we're really hungry. But what we're hungry for isn't more stuff. What we're really hungry for is what we're talking about, which is this quality of alive intimacy. But it takes practice, it takes courage, it takes tenderness and holding to do that. And it can happen in a relationship, it can also happen you know, with a sunset or a beautiful piece of art or music. It's a little safer, at least if you're me if you go you know, see something beautiful, because the sunset isn't going to talk back. Eugene, on the other hand, <laughs> may have an opinion that is like different than mine, right? <coughs> so what's being pointed to in relationship, even though the form of Buddhism that we have here in Northern California in 2019 feels like a more solo event, it's right at the heart of it. 
Absolutely. Please. So, just to contextualize some of what you were saying, when, she, when Pam is pointing at the 2019 spirituality being meditatively um, oriented, that's a very Vipassana Western understanding, and it's true and it's good, and, but it's not the only understanding because in her tradition, it's not just about meditation. It's totally about community or collective practice. And so when I met her, that's what she was doing and, and has continued to do off and on for many years. And even in the Vipassana world, we've, we're still growing up in terms of relatedness. So, um, what's that, two days ago, three days ago, we went to Spirit Rock because there was a ceremony honoring a friend and colleague of ours, Larry Young. And Larry Young is one of the heads of the teachers, teacher training right now with Gina Sharp. And Larry and Gina and Pam and I taught the last community Dharma leader setting. And Larry has be, was being honored for his work in diversity and inclusivity at Spirit Rock because he changed the culture there because we were blind. We were. Um, want to say white-sided by ourselves <laughs> in the self and, and the kind of uh, naivete and prejudice that comes in a country and culture that's based on racism, which we all come from. And so Larry has done a lot of work and over many years and influenced, changed, impacted many, many people. And so we did a secret ceremony, meaning he didn't know what was happening. Uh, and we, we went up for it, and there were a number of other people, about 20 other people, and it was quite beautiful because we were, we were late because of what traffic, right? <laughs> and so we got there, and we got there just before Larry got there. He didn't know anything was happening, and, and he, was, he was walking up, and Gina, who was walking up, said, oh, look. You know, look, oh, Pam and Eugene are here. Wonder what they're doing here. And of course, she <laughs> knew what we were doing. And, uh, and then we surprised Larry and had a beautiful ceremony in Spare Rock to honor him and uh, to put his photo in the gratitude hut for what he's done. And that's a big deal in Spare Rock. And, um, and, but I'm saying all of this because Larry wrote a book in the last few years that is about his work and what he sees in his vision. It's called Awakening Together. Because Larry never bought just the solo, me, mine, meditate, that's what you do, and then you wake up. And he had been a monk in Asia, and he went and checked it out, and, you know, spent a year as a monk. And he's a great, deep practitioner, but he understood something. He brought something else to the Dharma that wasn't just uh, out of the culture of the United States and the culture based on racism and hyper-individuality that we have all been raised in. And so, very, yeah, it's great what you're saying about the, because it's not just about this relationship, although we have some, you know, we have our, our positives and our minuses given our relationship.
but the fact that any relationship, who, who do you really know anyways? We're always assuming we know the other person, whoever they are, what, you know, and, and yet really, I mean, we, we have the privilege of sitting here so we can see you, and we can see we don't know you. You know, even when we know you, we don't know you. And so meaning we can see the magic or the beauty or the mystery of what's sitting here and, and, and just the total, and it impacts us. It's not we just sit, oh, and we just stay who we are. We're impacted by the relatedness of being real together. And just to bring this story full circle, that our friend Larry has also, uh, his husband Stephen was there, and they also have been married for about 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it's a, there is this kind of broad vision, and then there's, there's something that's kind of nitty gritty, you know, it's where the pearl gets polished by the grit. And I, I feel like if there's anything that I would want us to convey, the first part is what Eugene said, which is to kind of uh, kindly knock the idealization down, right? People are people, and we have our, we all have our difficulty. And the second part is what we've been pointing to, which is to really keep remembering how little we know. And if we're willing to step into that mysterious unknown, it helps keep things alive. And the last thing that I would say for me is that over many years, many decades at this point, there are many marriages within a marriage. And, and that that too can apply to anyone you know. That part of the not knowing is that we are all changing. And if we insist on our partner, our parent, our child, our colleague, being the same as the person who we met, how, whenever we met them, we actually prevent both of us from being able to keep growing. And uh, part of what makes marriage, in this case, alive, is this opportunity to support the other person in continuing to unfold. And that's not an easy process, because we get adapted and think, you know, we get kind of comfortable at a certain point and then the other person, something happens. Right? And then we have to readjust. But it's a good thing to have to readjust because otherwise we get kind of dead. We get sort of on autopilot. We don't, we don't stay fresh with this kind of life that is fresh. Right? And is this blend, as Eugene said at the beginning, of sukha and dukkha. And to do that takes a certain kind of commitment, right? A certain kind of dedication to ourselves, to each other, and to the, it's really like, okay, I'm willing to stay here and be with this unfolding of life itself. And sometimes life sucks. Like you just don't want to be there for it, right? I, I feel that way. And that's okay too, like you don't want to be there for it, but then the next day or the next week or whenever you're ready to climb out of bed and face the next the day, you, you get up and do it again, right? You go into the next event. And then 
you don't get to say where, when the sukha and the dukkha come. <laughs> and I think if we're honest, there's often extraordinary beauty in the midst of a lot of difficulty. And there's also often a kind of, um, I don't know, we can get a little blasé almost if things are going too well. I, I don't, I'm not suggesting for if any of you are having a really good stretch that you should do anything to make it more difficult because life is already hard enough. There's probably going to be some difficulty coming. So if it's, if it's wonderful, enjoy. But sometimes we get a little kind of almost callous in a way when things are going too well. We don't appreciate the, the impermanence of what's here. I'll just end this part um, with a quote from Greg Fields talking, pointing again at the intimacy of what we're, what we're pointing at. He said, spirituality, spirituality is a place where the utterly intimate and the vastly infinite meet. Where the utterly intimate and the vastly infinite meet. And that's the... the the uh, vastly infinite, that's the not knowing of reality. Because in some way, all of reality is sitting right here and, and being open to being known when we really look and see what another person is. So we have some time for any thoughts, questions, comments. We always like to have your voice in the room because it makes it more interesting, to be honest. And, and, and we're actually interested in what you want to ask or say. Yeah. Please come up to yeah. me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.